from garden to garden. We started last Sunday, we talked about the Garden of Eden. How everything was perfect and whole, this perfect peace. Where sin came into the world and broke that peace. Where there was a curse upon everything, a curse upon the creation, a curse upon our relationship with one another, ourself, and with our God. And so then now we come to another garden where we've come from all of the story of the people of Israel and been waiting for a Messiah and the Messiah comes and Jesus lives this perfect life that had to be lived, God in flesh. And then he comes to this garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Before he's to be crucified at that spot that was near the garden where he was also buried, he first spends time in this garden of Gethsemane. And so I want to read this story for us from the scriptures from Matthew 26, 36 to 56. And interestingly, when I open this Bible to this spot, I have actually pieces of olive trees, of olive branches and leaves from when I was there last in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so these very leaves are from the Mount of Olives, from the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, it's just a great little thing to remember there as we put ourselves in this real place in real time. So Matthew 26, 36 to 56. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. This is right after the Last Supper, right after he's had this time with his disciples where he instructs them about the Lord's Supper, about communion, what we will practice later tonight. Right after that, it says they sing a hymn, they go to the Mount of Olives, and here they go to this olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They'd been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. 
Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. And so this story in this garden, this beautiful place, this beautiful hillside filled with olive trees. And then there's this part of the garden that is called Gethsemane, with, which actually just means olive oil presses. Gethsemane are olive presses. All right, so you have this whole garden. There must have been so much production happening that you have a garden of olive oil presses. And so uh, he's within this area, and in this area he speaks and he experiences this crushing. This crushing takes place. This crushing of heart, this crushing of spirit that happens in Jesus. I want to show you uh, just a picture here that you see of the first stage of the olive oil press. And it was this huge, heavy stone that would roll onto stone. And they'd put the olives in there and it rolls in a circle and crushes them. And even it's strong enough that it crushes the seeds, those pits as well. After that, they also get put in baskets and then they get pressed and cranked down and, and pressed down and even more oil comes out. So you have this crushing that takes place first. And in the midst of that area, Jesus is experiencing this crushing. He experiences or he sees something that is so horrifying to him, so troubling to him, that it says that he almost dies under the strain. It says that even he was crushed to the point, he was crushed with grief to the point of death. He's experiencing this pressing down on him, this crushing upon him. And in fact, even in the book of Luke, we see that it says that he actually began to sweat drops of blood. And so here you have Jesus, the eternal word of God who spoke the worlds into existence, who walked on top of angry waves, who calmed the fiercest storm with a word, who cast out demons, who healed diseases, who brought the dead back to life, so horrified at something that his capillaries were bursting and that he's grieving to the point of death. What was it? What was it that troubled him in this, this intense, this extreme sort of way? Well, I think the real question is not what he saw, but it's what he did not see. In verse 39, when Jesus calls out to his father, he calls out to his Abba, this most intimate, close relationship. He cries out to him, and there's no answer. There's no answer. Because for the first time in all of eternity, the father is silent to the son. You begin to see this time that Jesus is experiencing this beginning of the father turning away from him. And then he, he goes back to his disciples. He kind of stumbles back to them in this moment of grief, in this moment of, of despair. And he's crying out, asking for his father to take this away, yet not my will, your will be done. And he goes back to his friends and his friends are just sleeping. He's like, do I have anyone with me here? 
he's just utterly alone. Even at the very end of this whole account, you see just everybody deserts him and flees without him. You know, when I was younger and what I thought before kind of was what the worst part of what Jesus experienced, the worst part of his death was the physical effects of the crucifixion. Everything that, I mean, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, like it, it just gives you this vivid picture of the scourging, the whipping that he goes through, that physical torture where he's carrying the cross and he's falling and being beaten and whipped and then he is nailed to that cross and hangs there until he dies, spears stabbed into him. I think it was that physical stuff, but I think actually what Jesus was crushed over in this beautiful garden was this silence, this, this, what was happening between him and the Father, this abandonment by God. That was the horror of Gethsemane for Jesus. And in Gethsemane, Jesus looks full upon the cup of God's wrath. He is about to completely drink the cup of God's wrath that becomes the cup of redemption for us. And even in the Passover Seder, the third cup that Jesus left it with at that point is the cup of redemption or what some call the cup of wrath. Because that is what Jesus was experiencing here, was the cup of God's wrath poured out against him. And it's overwhelming him so much that it almost kills him. And so the reality of God's wrath against our sin is pressing down on Jesus. And it says that Jesus then says, your will be done. Your will be done. He was willing to experience that. He was willing to take that upon himself to redeem us of our sins. We look back to the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53 and it says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was for our sins that Jesus was crushed. He took that upon himself willingly because of our sin. And then when you think about the garden though, what's so cool, the garden of Eden to what happens here in the garden of Gethsemane and especially what happens at the garden tomb, we see that back in Genesis 3 when the serpent comes and the serpent brings this great lie and the people believe that lie, and the curse comes upon them and the land then. And then the, even that serpent himself is cursed and says he will soon be crushed. And then we read in Romans 16, 20, where it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus is crushed. Jesus is pressed down. But Jesus will be victorious and he will crush, because of his willingness to be crushed, he will crush Satan under his feet. And what he does for us is described in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, where it says we have, uh, verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Hear this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We will suffer. We will go through persecution. We will have hard times in this life. We will doubt. We will be filled with anxiety or depression or whatever. All of these things that will cause us to struggle in our day. 
We will be afflicted, but we will not be crushed because Jesus was willing to be crushed. That's what we remember. It goes on to say, so it says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And so we remember, we carry this with us. We carry the dying of Jesus with us. And on a night like tonight is the ultimate night to remember what Jesus has done, his death. But we carry that with us so that we will remember that the life of Jesus is there for us. That it is only through his death that we are forgiven and then his resurrection that we have victory over that sin and death. Because ultimately this is all about the cross. The garden of Gethsemane is the agony leading towards the agony of the cross. And it is at the cross where the work was done. Gethsemane shows us the heart of Jesus. It shows us the heart of Jesus for you. That Jesus loves you this much that he was willing to be to experience the silence of the Father, to experience the physical torture and suffering, to experience all of that, even though he knew it would be hard, so hard that he would weep, that he would sweat drops of blood, that he would say, Father, if it's your will, take this from me, but, but I'm in. I'm all in for these people because I love them. That's the heart of Jesus for you. I want to remind us of the words that we sang of that song, I Stand Amazed at the Presence, as we're preparing ourselves to take communion. These words are beautiful. It takes place in this garden. It says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You might wonder, how could we be loved by Jesus. I'm just a sinner. How could I be loved by him? I'm a sinner. I'm condemned. I'm unclean. And Jesus says, I've come and I've suffered to make you clean. And then it goes on to say, for me, it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. So how marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous and wonderful is my Savior's love for me. This is what we remember tonight. And what I encourage you to take to heart now. And so what we'll do is we're going to just have a time of reflection and remembrance. You can hold on to your communion elements if you'd like, wherever you are. I just want you to get into kind of a, a posture and a position where you can reflect, where you can pray, where you can meditate upon the word of God and what Christ has done for you. And we're gonna just have a little time of silence and then sing a song together. And then I'll come back and lead us in the taking of communion. But I want you now just to spend some time in prayer and to say, Lord, what I deserved, you took willingly. I understand the depth of it. I'm reminded of that tonight, of what you went through.
and just express your gratitude, express your heart to Jesus that you would never forget, you will always remember what he has done for you. Let's pray together. Let me pray for us as we enter that time. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us now. Lord, I pray that our gratitude and our remembrance would rise up to you like incense into the throne room of heaven. And may it be our worship of you. And may our worship bring you gladness, Lord. Because we are a grateful people. And we do not take for granted what you have done. What we read here is, it's just, it's too much. It's too much, Lord. And so we thank you for doing too much for us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name. This bread, take this wine, now the simple may divide for any to receive. By your mercy we come to your table, by your grace you are making
Meditated upon his agony, upon his prayer, upon his relationship with the Father, upon him being deserted by everyone, and his willingness then to go to the cross, to give his body for us, to shed his blood for us. Jesus was willing. Because he loves you and he wanted to defeat sin and he did and he does and so we remember that now and so I just encourage you with a heart of gratitude hold on to the bread 
Listen to these words as Paul described that night, the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. the cup. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take together. So Lord, we, we just take this moment to think upon your body given, your blood shed, Lord. I'm grateful, deeply grateful. I can't even express it in words. Lord, we as a people, this body of Calvary Church, we collectively are grateful, Lord. And we worship you. We worship you. God, fully God, perfect life, went willingly to the cross for us, Lord. We thank you. It's all because of you, Jesus. You deserve all of the praise, all of the worship, all of our lives. We are nothing without you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.